Thank you for joining us for this week's sermon. Here at Back Creek Church, we are focused on connecting people with the hope of the gospel. With this week's message, here's Pastor Matt Carr. Going to be in Colossians, uh, the New Testament letter, uh, Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Colossians 1, 1 through 8. Last week was a bit unusual uh, as we began our series not in the first chapter and first verse of this letter from the Apostle Paul. Instead, uh, we went to the heart of this letter in chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, in which the writer encourages his audience to be rooted in Christ to be built up in him and established in the faith so that they can walk with him in the world. And we talked about how this letter was in response to an internal struggle and an external struggle that the Christians in Colossae were experiencing. Internally, the temptations and sins of their old life were rising up in them and among them. They were experiencing internal spiritual attack. Externally, their neighbors, who were uh, pagan polytheists or mystical Jewish believers, uh, were telling them in some form or another, hey, it's great that you have Jesus, but we have some practices that you could add that would really help you uh, overcome your struggles. There's real power in what we are doing. Come and join us. And you can still keep Jesus, but let's make it Jesus plus this. And the writer reminded the Colossian believers and us, that because everything is found in Jesus, being rooted in him is where true freedom and joy and life are. And that's the thematic introduction to this book. Today, we're going to get to the the literal and actual introduction from the author. Verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, who is writing this letter? What's Paul, who was once Saul, a passionate Pharisee, a Jewish man who was zealous for his faith, and so he persecuted Christians. But by the, by the will of God, when he was on the road heading to a place where he would uh, go and find Christians and root them out and imprison them or uh, have them separated from their families or perhaps even kill them, he encountered the risen Christ. And then he was transformed into the greatest missionary in history. Paul planted several churches in the first century. And of course, he has influenced millions more uh, churches and billions of believers through his ministry and through his letters. And with Paul in Rome is Timothy, who Paul trained as a pastor in Ephesus, about 100 miles to the west of Colossae. Uh, and uh, Timothy is there with him as his helper. And, and more than likely, Timothy is acting as a secretary for Paul. As Paul is dictating this letter, Timothy is the one who is writing it down. Verse 2, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Now, uh, one of the things I, I like to remind us is that this word brothers uh, is not exclusive to the males in the church. This letter is for the whole church. And in fact, in Greek, this word adelphoi, is, it means siblings. And so it's not just brothers, but brothers and sisters. So whenever you find it in your Bible, there should be a footnote. And if you go down to the bottom, it'll say, or brothers and sisters. It's speaking to the whole church at Colossae and therefore the whole church that is Bat Creek. Who is receiving this letter? 
It's a young church in a declining city, as I said, about 100 miles to the east of Ephesus and over 1,000 miles from where Paul was writing this letter under house arrest. And though Paul had only met some of them, uh, he knew these believers, uh, he knew of these believers through another man that he had trained as a pastor. We mentioned him last week, Epaphras. And Epaphras came all this way to, to be with Paul, to visit Paul. Over a thousand mile journey in the first century was a very difficult and perilous thing. And Epaphras has come to, to be with Paul, to encourage Paul in his imprisonment, and to bring Paul a report from the church that he is serving as a pastor. And when Epaphras returns to Colossae, he's going to deliver to them this letter. He's going to deliver to them the very word of God to them. And Paul calls the Colossian Christians saints. This word in Greek, hagias, it means holy. It means sacred. It means consecrated before God. And what is it that makes these believers saints? What makes them holy and sacred to God? Well, very clearly, it's that they are in Christ. They are united to Jesus by faith in him. And therefore, they're reconciled to right relationship with God and they're counted righteous in his sight. He doesn't just call them saints in relationship to God. He also calls them brothers and sisters in relationship to himself. Because they are all united to Jesus, they are all united to each other. And they're united to Paul, and they're united to Timothy, and they are united to us. It's what we mean when we confess in the Apostles' Creed, I believe in the communion of the saints. That being mutually united in Christ, to Christ, we are united to one another. And Paul emphasizes this relationship with God. He says in verse 2, grace and peace to you from God our Father, emphasizing that we are a family, the children of God together through Jesus. And he emphasizes this from the opening of his letter in the Colossians. So as we read this letter, we should read it as a letter from family members. We should read it as a letter from our Father, God, and from our brother, Paul, who has our best interests at heart. One of the many things that my maternal grandmother did well was to write letters. And I still have a number of letters and cards from Gran. And it's interesting to me that it never gets old, that when I happen upon them, that I, I take them up and begin to read them, that her love for me and her hope for me just shines beautifully through, even though she's been with the Lord since 2013. And Paul, too, has been with the Lord for a very long time. And yet his words, uh, transcendent because they were inspired by the Holy Spirit, speak the love of God to us and the love of the Apostle Paul for believers who would come to Christ through his testimony. And they bless us even now. Verse 3, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. What is the writer, Paul, doing for the saints, the brothers and sisters, the audience of this letter? He is praying for them, and he is praying for them regularly. And when he does, he always thanks God. Again, he emphasizes the reality of the faith family, reminding us that our Father is also the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And last week we talked about those who have received Jesus and are rooted in Jesus, we respond to Jesus with thanksgiving. And that's what Paul is doing. He is giving thanks for the work of God in the, in the lives of these people through Jesus and his gospel. 
And that's the big idea for the rest of uh, this passage that we're going to read and study. The big idea is thank God for the root and the fruit of the gospel. Thank God for the root and the fruit of the gospel. So look with me at Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. And if you're able, please stand in honor of God's word. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ at Colossae, grace, and, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope that is laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world. It is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let's thank the Lord for his word this morning. Oh Lord our God, we do thank you that your word is true and trustworthy. That these words written over 2,000 years ago by this this man, Paul, are the very words of God to his people. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for inspiring them and for preserving them, for giving them to us so that we can know more of who Christ is, of what Christ has done, and how that changes us. We thank you, and we ask for your help this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. One of God's great gifts to the world that he created is fruit. Like here in North Carolina, in the fall, you can go to an apple orchard and you can go to a tree and you can pick off of that tree an apple and you can bite into it and it is like the crispest and sweetest thing. My grandfather uh, was a little bit of a farmer, and he lived in Florida, and I have great memories of picking watermelons off the vine and sitting on his porch swing with him, and he would take a half, and I would take a half, and we would go at it with a spoon and a salt shaker. We are rednecks. Uh, and I also uh, remember that when I was on a mission project in Nicaragua, I worked on a pineapple farm and on the side of a, of a dormant volcano. And the workers would hack a pineapple off, right off the plant, and they would hack off the sides with a machete, and they would give you a piece, and it tasted just a little bit like I imagine heaven does. Fruit is good. Uh, fruit is good for you. Uh, fruit tastes good, and fruit makes me want to give thanks to God. But what I know from all those experiences is that good fruit only comes from being rooted in good soil. And in this passage, Paul talks about how the gospel bears fruit. And this is one of many agricultural metaphors that are common in Scripture for the result of the gospel in the life of a person and the witness of the church in the world. This fruit is good. It is a blessing from God, but, but this fruit doesn't just appear. It grows only from a specific root, 
for which Paul is giving thanks to God. Two more questions that I want us to answer today from this text. What is the root of the gospel? And what is the fruit of the gospel? What is the root of the gospel and what is the fruit of the gospel? The root of the gospel is Christ. The root of the gospel is Christ. The word gospel in the original language here means good news. Paul calls it the word of truth, which has come to the Colossians. The gospel is true, good news about Jesus Christ. And last week we saw very clearly that that salvation, salvation does not come from knowing the right things about God. Salvation does not come from knowing the right things about God. Salvation comes from being in right relationship with God through faith in Jesus. We enter right relationship with God by receiving Jesus as Savior and Lord and resting in him alone. But what we also said is that there are essential things that we must know about God. We can only receive and rest in Jesus as he is offered in the true good news about him. We can only receive and rest in Jesus as Savior and Lord in and through the gospel. And what is the gospel? We could describe the gospel in many ways, and many people have. I love the way that C.S. Lewis describes the gospel in broad terms. He says this, in the Christian story, God descends to reascend. He comes down, down from the heights of absolute being into time and space and into humanity, down to the very roots and seabed of the nature that he has created. But he goes down to come up again and to bring the ruined world with him. The Apostle John records it this way in his gospel, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. Well, that is good news, but, but who is the only son of God, and how is he given The Apostle Paul writes in a letter to another church, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. The true good news that we call the gospel, it's about Jesus from beginning to end. Christ is the root of the gospel. It is the true good news of his life, of his death of his resurrection for sinners as the ultimate expression of God's love for us, as the ultimate provision for the forgiveness of our sins, as the ultimate payment for our debt of righteousness that we owed to God, as the ultimate way of reconciliation, the only way of reconciliation with God and the only way of eternal life. As Paul says, it is the grace of God in truth communicated through word. And he says the Colossians heard and understood and learned and believed this word, this true good news, this grace of God, this gospel of Christ. And I would just ask you, have you heard the good news? Well, you have. You have heard the good news. 
We've just read about it. We've just spoken about it. We've just sung about it. This entire service is designed to rehearse it week after week after week. A great God and a sinful humanity and how God bridges the infinite gap between the two to bring us into reconciliation with himself. How? By sending his only son to live and to die and to rise again for us. Have you heard the good news? Have you understood the good news that all of this, life, death, resurrection, ascension, one day return, that all of it was so that loved sinners, loved sinners like me and loved sinners like you could be rescued and redeemed and restored and reconciled to God, not just once but forever? Have you learned the good news? Have you learned that this good news is not just a set of facts? That it's not just information to be absorbed and to be accepted? But rather, have you learned that this good news is for you? That this good news is to you? That this good news is available for you to apprehend and to lay hold of right here, right now? If you are a believer in Christ, if you have once believed the gospel, guess what? You never graduate from the need to daily apprehend again the true good news about Jesus. This is what brings transformation to our lives day by day. And if today you do not know if you are in right relationship with God, if you have been running from God, you know that he's real, you know that he has a standard, you know that you have fallen short of that standard, the true good news is available to you today that you could never meet God's standard, but Christ has met it on your behalf, and he offers you free and full and forever forgiveness and reconciliation and eternal life. And all you have to do is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Let today be the day of salvation. Enjoy today God's available favor. Learn the gospel. Have you believed the good news? Have you received and are you resting in Jesus as he is offered in the gospel? Are you in right relationship with God through faith in him? In his letter to the church in Rome, Paul writes this. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord... Who has believed what he has heard from us? So, faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Have you heard the gospel? Have you understood the gospel? Have you learned the gospel? Have you believed the gospel? The root of the gospel is Christ. When we hear and understand and learn and believe the good news about him, we are inevitably brought, immediately brought into right relationship with him. We are brought into union with him, and we are implanted and rooted in him, and this changes everything. The root of the gospel, Christ, 
When he enters our lives, when he enters our hearts by his Holy Spirit, he changes everything. The root of the gospel is Christ, and the fruit of the gospel is change. The fruit of the gospel is change. Paul says the gospel is bearing fruit and increasing in the whole world and in the Colossian believers. As they are deeply rooted in Christ, they are bearing fruit. Their lives are actively being changed. Hearing and understanding and learning and believing the gospel, receiving and resting in Jesus as he is offered in the good news, that transforms their lives. And Paul is uniquely qualified to recognize the gospel fruit of transformation, of change, because he is someone who was radically changed by an encounter with Jesus. He hated Jesus. He hated everything Jesus preached. He hated everything that Jesus stood for. He hated all the ways that Jesus contradicted everything he had ever believed from the time that he was born. And he hated Jesus so much that anyone who loved and followed and talked about Jesus should go to prison, should be separated from their families, should be beaten, or perhaps should even be killed. And he tried to make that a reality in his life. And then one day, the risen Christ came to Paul on the road to Damascus. His life was immediately and irrevocably changed. He went from a man who despised Jesus to a man who saw Jesus as the entire reason for being, who would spend the rest of his life learning more about Jesus, loving Jesus more, and giving every aspect of his life, everything that he was and everything that he had to the mission of Jesus in the world of making all things new. That is real radical change. That is the fruit of the gospel. And Paul sees the same capacity for change that happened in him in the Colossian believers And the Holy Spirit, who inspired Paul to write this letter, not only to the Colossian church, but to Back Creek Church, sees the same capacity in us. We just started the new year, and everybody wants to change, right? Everybody wants to transform some aspect of our lives. That's what New Year's resolutions are, uh, are all about. This is the second Sunday of the new year. How are those going for you? Man, transformation is hard. Change is elusive. Some might say that genuinely, over long periods of time, it is improbable, if not impossible, for mere human beings. We are all hungry for transformation. And the good news for us today is that real change is possible. Not just in the temporary circumstances of this life, like the things that we make our New Year's resolutions about, right? It's our our bank account or our health and our fitness or our professional outlook or the right prioritization of our lives. Look, fruit is one of God's great gifts to this world. I love fruit. You know what else I love? Fruit loops. (laughs) But fruit loops aren't fruit. Fruit is in the name Fruit is sort of in the presentation, but we're talking about sugary, fruit, sort of flavored cardboard. And it tastes good. It tastes good. 
but it's not good for me. And when I think about all of the things that are the things that I want to immediately change in my life, and they're Fruit Loops. It's, it's the stuff that isn't going to persist into eternity. And yet, Paul, writing by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, tells us about a change that can happen in our lives, that can produce fruit in our lives, not just temporarily, not just temporarily, not just in the minuscule circumstances and situations of our lives, but eternally. And that it is possible for everyone who is rooted in Christ, eternally significant transformation is possible. And it's happening in the Colossians. They're growing. And how are the Colossians changing and growing? Paul says in verses 4 and 5 that he hears from Epaphras and thanks God for the way that they are growing in faith, in hope, and in love. The things that will remain in eternity. In faith. I just want to think about these three things for just a moment. In faith. Changing in faith. Growing in faith. Hebrews tells us that faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. Growing and bearing fruit in faith means that we are learning to daily receive, to rest in, and to rely on Jesus for everything, especially the things that we don't see and don't have answers for. And what does that mean in practical terms? It means learning day by day, more and more, to relate to God, not on the basis of our performance and how we did yesterday or the day before, but rather to relate to God more and more on the basis of Jesus and his righteousness and his advocacy for me every day. It means responding to Jesus in thankfulness when it's easy and when it's hard. Remember last week, I encouraged you to begin and to end your day with a simple sentence. Thank you, God, for. This is the fruit of the gospel in faith. It also means trusting Jesus more and more with our lives. For you today, for you today, there was a a real faith choice for you this morning. You had an opportunity to grow in faith. You had the opportunity to say, Uh, you know, what I really need today, what I really need is not a few more hours in the bed. What I most need today is not a lazy day with no obligations. What I really need today is Christ in word and in prayer and in the fellowship of his people. And that's why you're here. And I I hope you realize that that, that's that's a small, barely discernible instance in which the the root of the gospel that is Christ is changing you and bringing transformation to your life that is eternally significant. And I want to encourage you in that. For some of you, bearing fruit in faith might mean coming more and more to see that all you have, God has given to you. Your gifts, your resources, your possessions, your time, that all of them are from God and for God. And he is calling you in bigger and scarier ways to leverage them and to use them for his mission in the world. For some of you, it might mean learning to pray and to trust more audaciously for the Lord's glory in and through your life, for the boldness to share the gospel with that stubborn family member or friend, for the willingness to reach outside of your comfort zone to serve different people in a new way, for the strength to resist that old constant temptation that you experience, or for the opportunity to take a risk that makes much of Jesus. What would your life look like? 
if rooted in Christ, you were bearing fruit and growing in faith, in hope. Paul specifically calls it the hope laid up for us in heaven. Now, our mission as a church that you hear all the time is connecting people with the hope of the gospel. We really believe that the only hope for people, the only hope for people in this world and in eternity is the good news about Jesus. It's what brings us into right relationship with God. It's what gives us a sure and certain future of eternal life. And this hope allows us, it allows us and empowers us to live in this world knowing that the darkness and the difficulty, that the sorrow and the suffering, that the injustice and the evil in this place will not win. And it will not have the last word. That Jesus came to make everything new and that he is starting with a people. He's starting with us. And we have the privilege of joining him in declaring this hope to the world. And we do this with our words as we spread the the good news about Jesus, but we also do it with our lives as we are continually growing in hope. And our hope is not a mere optimism. It's not the power of positive thinking. Growing in hope for us means a a growing expectation that God is at work in our lives and in the world, in both the good things and the bad things, and that he is bringing about the renewal of us and the cosmos. It's knowing that when we share the gospel with a friend who is far from God, that there is hope because Jesus rose from the dead, that God can raise this person from spiritual death to eternal life. It's expecting that God will take the very worst circumstances and situations of our lives and work in them and through them for our good and for his glory. For you practically today, Bearing fruit in hope might mean setting your hope on the Lord in the midst of an epic struggle against temptation and sin. You can't see how you'll possibly win. For you today, it might mean hoping in the Lord when your questions are seemingly going unanswered. It might mean expecting good from the Lord even in the bad that he's been allowing. It might mean cultivating a greater longing for Jesus' return. In a world that so often feels hopeless, it is a powerful testimony to the change that only Jesus can make when his people are filled with and growing in hope. And what would your life look like if rooted in Christ, you were bearing fruit and growing in faith and hope and in love? Love being the greatest of the three is mentioned by Paul twice. He mentions it, he mentions the Colossians' love for all the saints and their love in the Spirit. The Colossians' lives are changing because they are growing for love, they're growing in love for one another as God the Holy Spirit works in their hearts. And as a pastor, here's what I know some of the saints are easy to love, some of the saints are not. Don't worry, I'm not talking about you. But one way that we know the root of the gospel is in us and it is producing the fruit of the gospel through us is in when we are growing in love for one another, especially the parts of the body that are harder to love. 
1 John 4.10 says, In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and gave his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. See, God loved us when we did not love him. God loved us when we were both unlovely and unlovable in every conceivable way. And he loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus to die in our place for our sins. And that's the kind of love that made Jesus' friend, the apostle John, say, What kind of love is this? And that kind of love changes things. That kind of love changes everything. And if we have been loved like that, when we know ourselves better than the people around us, and we know truly the depths of our unloveliness, If we have been loved like that in spite of the unloveliness that we uniquely know about ourselves, how can we not love our brothers and sisters in Christ? How can we write them off? How can we avoid them? How can we refuse to forgive them as God in Christ has forgiven us? How can we refuse to extend but a fraction of the radical love that God has for us to them? For us today, it might mean forgiving someone for an offense that we've been holding on to. It might mean opening our home and showing hospitality to somebody we wouldn't ordinarily. It might mean deciding to pray regularly for someone who you think needs it. It might mean seeking out a need that a brother or sister has and doing everything in your power to meet that need. The greatest evidence of the change that Christ alone can make in our lives is that we are growing in love for one another. Francis Schaeffer called it our final apologetic or our final argument to a watching world about the credibility of the gospel. And Jesus himself said this, by this shall all people know that you are my disciples if you love one another. In the same conversation that Jesus said that to his disciples, he also gives the most beautiful picture of both the root and the fruit of the gospel. John 15, 1 through 11. I... Jesus, and the true vine. And my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. And the branches, I'm sorry, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. The lives of the Colossian believers are changing. Epaphras has come to share with Paul that he sees the evidence of fruit in their lives, of faith, hope, and love that are growing. 
And not only are their lives changing, but because their lives are changing, the gospel is bearing fruit and bringing eternally significant change in the world. Our mission as a church is connecting people with the hope of the gospel, and this is how we do it, brothers and sisters. Being deeply rooted in Christ by continually hearing and understanding and learning and believing the true good news about him and then sharing it and spreading it with one another and with our neighbors, both in our words and in our works. The witness of lives that bear much fruit in faith and hope and in love and in faith. And as we do, we worship. Thank God for the root and the fruit of the gospel. Let's pray. Oh Lord our God, we thank you. We thank you that you are at work in the world and that you are at work in our lives through the good news about Jesus. And Lord, we pray that we would be a people who are deeply rooted in Christ. Lord, that we are growing in our faith day by day. And Lord, that we would be those disciples who prove that we are by bearing much fruit. Lord, that faith, hope, and love would not only be evident in our lives, but that we would be growing in them in tangible ways day by day. Lord, we cannot do this apart from your Holy Spirit. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask you to please be at work in our lives and press on us the truth of your word. Convict us of our sin. Uh, remind us of the truth. Drive us to Christ and change us for your glory. And we ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. You can find additional sermons and learn more about our ministries by heading to backcreekchurch.org. We'd love to see you in person for our worship service at 1030 on Sunday mornings. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Thanks for listening.